Hello, this is Dr. Nigam Aurora here with How to Launch an Industry. I'm pleased to share the second episode from our three-part series, live from Psychedelic Science 2023, where our team conducted interviews with leaders in the psychedelics industry live from the exhibit hall floor at the largest psychedelics conference in modern history. This second episode focuses on business. If you haven't already, keep an eye out for the first episode, which was focused on research and came out last week, and for the third episode focused on culture, which will come out next week. Here's how the interviews were structured. First, we frame the moment to our interviewees as follows. A variety of psychedelics are undergoing clinical trials for numerous indications. Decrim and medical programs are sweeping the nation and the globe, and there are 13,000 of us who work in the industry or simply care to learn about its many facets and potentials here under one roof at the largest psychedelics conference in modern history. So with that frame, we asked each interviewee the same four questions. First, what does this moment mean to you professionally? Next, what does this moment mean to you personally? Next, what is a barrier you've faced working in psychedelics and have recent changes in the industry made it better or worse? And finally, we just ask our interviewees if there's anything else they'd like to share with our audience here at HLI. So with that, we kick it off with John Shute, CEO and co-founder of Puff Creative, followed by Rebecca Lee Whiting, who is an attorney and founder of Epigram Legal. Next is David Valencourt, CEO and founder of the GMP Collective, and also a member of our cast here at HLI. Next up is Dr. Chris Witowski, who is the CEO of Silera, and they are doing some very interesting work making next-generation mental health drugs. Next up, we have Kimberly Chu, who is an attorney and is the co-lead of the Psychedelics and Emerging Therapies Practice at Hush Blackwell. Next up is Leslie Nyland, from Baldwin Risk Partners, where she specializes in insurance needs for the psychedelics industry. And we close out the episode with Mark Ross, who is also an attorney, but he focuses on ESG, which I think is a nice way to close out this episode as we transition to culture for the next one. So with that, we'll go ahead and jump in to my first interview with John Shute, CEO of Puff Creative. So I want to ask you, John, what does this moment mean to you on a professional level? Um, at a professional level, it, it's 
it's uh, it's life changing from a professional and personal. But professionally, it's it's eye opening is the most thing for me. Um, you know, we've been in cannabis for the past eight years now, and we've been having clients transition into psychedelics. We've been picking up more psychedelics clients, and um, we've been kind of teetering on make, taking that full dive into the industry and being at this conference and feeling the energy and feeling the passion in some people I talk to at this conference has been really inspiring me to get my business more involved in the industry to make it better. Um, you know, one of the unfortunate things when you uh, have a business with some with with uh, plants that have been around for thousands of years and are sacred. Um, sometimes the people get in them for the wrong intentions. So I try to do my best ability to leverage people who are in it for the right intentions. And this has been very inspiring for me to do that more so. I think uh, if I can share this with the listener that John and I have actually never met in real life. Yeah, it's although, our first time. Although we've been I feel like I met you a bunch of times. <laughs> we've been working remotely um, for some time now uh, on and off together. Uh, on a few things. And then uh, we just met for the first time in real life um, 15 minutes ago at the conference. <laughs> and I asked John, how has the conference been going? And he says, what did you say? I think you said what? it's been life changing. It's life changing. Yeah. yeah. I mean, and, for, like I, I, um, I took, I, it's funny, Alex and Allison Gray, the artists are here. Were you at that dinner last night? I wasn't. I'm going to show you this picture they made for Roland Griffith. Did you see that? No. I'm going to show it to you right after this. And listener, I'm going to post this on my LinkedIn uh, roundup. But uh, anyways, go ahead. Yeah, Alex so, Gray. No, big, big Tool fan. Yeah, tell yeah, me about yeah, it. Yeah, I'm a big Tool fan too. Oh, but I didn't know that. So my first, uh, my first psychedelic experience uh, when I was younger, I won't say my age, but was actually at Cosm, uh, their art gallery, the original art oh. gallery in New York. Uh, with my girlfriend, now wife, mother wow. of my children. Wow. And um, to be at a conference as a professional and individual and see them here and just feel this energy. Um, I've, I haven't felt this inspired since I probably first started my agency, you know, eight years ago. Um, so I feel like I'm like, this has helped me kind of reach a new level in my professional career to take, um, you know, just take a new path. Like, I feel like... Um, Cannabis has been like a pretty interesting industry to be in for the past couple of years. And uh, it's really exciting to have an opportunity to do good, you know, and, and further plant medicine. Definitely. And uh, I'm going to say two short things. I, I want to get back to the interview. But one is um, I have been having this experience where, and I've been saying this on the pod on all these interviews, I've just been smiling at strangers. I'm yeah. getting like a yeah. 90% smile back rate from strangers. No, 100%. And, and coming from uh, directly from San Francisco and then even just going outside here in Denver, you know, outside. And I go out at a conference, I'm just smiling at strangers and then they're not smiling back. I'm yeah. like, oh, wait, I'm not at the MAPS <laughs> conference anymore. Okay. Everyone here. It's like the level of intention, um, kind of understanding, uh, kind of assumed goodwill. Uh, and I'm, obviously there's, you know, it's not everyone, but it's uh, it's uh, most of the people that I've been interacting in here. Same. I mean, the energy is the vibe. Uh, the vibes palpable. are flowing. It's palpable. I, I've, I've been having un unbelievable conversations with people, yeah. connecting with people like better than I feel like I have in the past like couple years. Like, yeah. um, no, nah, it's it's really magical here, man. The uh, the other thing I'll just um, mention just super quick. So uh, they had this dinner last night honoring Roland Griffith. Uh, I went to. It was really incredible and. Um, they, uh, uh, Dr. Griffith did speak at the end, and, and that was just uh, extremely powerful. Um, but just before that, as part of the, uh, the proceedings, uh, Alex Gray 
did a custom painting honoring Griffith no, no and his work. And uh, John, I'll show it to you in five minutes when we're done the interview. But I'm going to post it, uh, like I said, along with my uh, roundup of the conference. And um, if people don't know Alex Gray, if people don't know Roland Griffith, uh, wow, you got, you got some reading to do. Yeah, you got that's some crazy. To do. You holy. got some looking to do. Yeah, holy so, shit. Um, I, haven't, <laughs> I haven't had a chance to talk about that. It literally was just last night. But anyways, I want to continue um, asking John some questions. So, John, sure. we talked about the professional side. Um, I'm really curious uh, for you to share uh, what does it mean to you on a personal level, which I guess you touched on a little bit, but that's kind of our question for the interview. On the on the personal side, what does yeah. it mean? This this moment. You yeah, know? yeah, totally. I mean, for me, I, I mean, the, like that experience at Cosm and psychedelics in in general changed my entire life. Um, yeah, I feel like as a like as a younger adult, um, I was kind of sheltered growing up in South Jersey, being judged for smoking cannabis. Um, you know, it's like basically, you know, you're a bad person if you smoke cannabis or did psychedelics or did anything in that spectrum. Um, so the personal level, it makes me feel kind of fulfilled um, that I'm living a life and made a professional career for myself. And it just normalized in my life um, to be in this type of industry. And it just is like. I feel like, um, I don't know if born again is the right word, <laughs> but I just, I feel like a, a fresh slate being in this environment, person, like at a, at a personal level. Um, like I feel like there is just a lot more growth that I can experience at a personal level. And um, yeah, I'm really excited to keep exploring that and excited to see where this industry goes. Yeah, I'm getting uh, very rejuvenating vibes from you in yeah, this interview. Yeah, no, I like. I feel like I like needed this like conference to like ensure me that like the path that I per like personally and professionally was headed down was like correct. Because I feel like when you get involved in industries like this at a personal and professional level, um, you know, you can you can be you can feel uninspired because it takes a lot of hard work to you know get yourself out there and like make money and like get by. Yeah, yeah, it is. Uh, it is. It's. Uh, it can be a struggle. Um, so uh, actually, that blends well with our next question. I want to ask you if you can share a barrier that you've encountered working uh, with psychoactives. You know, cannabis, psychedelics. Uh, can you share just one barrier that you've encountered, and if these uh, recent changes in the industry have made that issue better, or maybe it made it worse? Um, you know, I think like doing marketing and advertising, um, we, we, we kind of cross a lot of barriers all the time. Uh, and especially from the compliance perspective. So like when you're doing like branding or packaging or ads, um, you're very limited on what you can do uh, from like a marketing and creative perspective. And it's been very, very frustrating. And unfortunately, uh, even though things are becoming more accepted at like a local and national level in the psychedelic space and even the cannabis space, um, there's so much unknown and so many more rules to come. So it's difficult when you're trying to build a brand and build a business and then with that in the back of your head, the rules could change at any moment in time and you have to kind of redo what you've done or circle back to a strategy that you've had in place for years and that start from scratch again. So it's been it's been a kind of like an ongoing barrier. And um, what's really, I guess, exciting and scary at the same time is that it's very unknown if those barriers are going to get worse or if they're going to get better at this point. I feel like the more that it becomes uh, accepted at a federal level, that actually does at sometimes complicate things. Um, so I'm looking forward to see what happens, but you know, as a professional and like running an agency, we remain to be very agile and like keep our white gloves on and always take kind of more of a long-term approach and perspective because 
who knows where this industry is going to head in the next five to 10 years. It's going to be wild. Yeah, I actually uh, appreciate what you're saying there. That um, I've, I've posed that question to uh, many people at this point doing these interviews. And um, most of the responses I've gotten have been based on an assumption that it's trending in one way or the other. And what I'm getting from John Shute is that it's going to keep oscillating yeah. up and down. I, I, I totally believe that. I mean, the more it's like, again, like when you are dealing with sacred medicine that's been around for thousands of years and you intertwine politics and money into that, um, it gets really really messy <laughs> and very interesting. So um, as much as I want things to get more lenient and people to succeed more, um, you kind of got to be ready for anything. Well, I think uh, <laughs> I think that's a good place to leave it. Uh, John, thank you so much uh, for joining us on the show, and we hope you have a great rest of the conference. Yeah, my pleasure. Next up, we have my interview with Rebecca Lee Whiting, founder of Epigram Legal. So, Rebecca, I want to ask you, what does this moment mean to you on a professional level? So on a professional level, it's super exciting for me. One of the things I do at Epigram Legal is I work with startups, and several of my clients are in the psychedelic industry. Um, I'm still the general counsel of Journey Collab, uh, which is developing mescaline for the treatment of alcohol use disorder and also developing clinics to support uh, psychedelic research. And I'm super excited. I think it's just this moment. Like If you had told me five years ago that we would be at a conference with 10,000 people who are excited about the future of the psychedelics industry, I would not have believed you, especially as a lawyer, right? I mean, I thought, you know, when I was in law school, there was no way that we were going to see meaningful drug policy reform in our lifetime. I mean, cannabis was happening, but that kind of felt like an anomaly. And so to, to have made this much progress in this much time, very, very exciting. I'm very excited for my clients that are doing things the FDA route. The fact that MDMA might be approved for the treatment of uh, treatment-resistant PTSD in 2024 or 2025. I think that's absolutely stunning, really exciting, and I'm excited to, yeah, for my clients. I so identify, you know, um, when I was doing my PhD, it was not even in the realm of possibility for me to think that I should study psychedelics because it, or even psychoactives in general yeah it just didn't seem like a route you know um and that was seven years ago i got out granted i started 12 years ago but yeah. so fully identify with that yeah. so um next question i want to ask you is what does it mean to you on a personal level yeah i mean so part of the reason i got into working in psychedelics having been previously a litigator doing something very different um, was because I was I really believe in psychedelics and their potential to address the unmet needs of people with mental health disorders in this country. And that, that's something that's really near and dear to my heart. Um, I have multiple family members who have not been well served by um, the psychiatric treatments that are available today, who I think could really benefit from, uh, from all the drugs that are coming out. Um, my sister uh, had uh, a really intractable eating disorder for really almost 15 years. Mm. And I think about the wasted life potential um, mm. because she was not able to get a treatment that really addressed the root cause of why she was suffering. Mm. Yeah. And, you know, I just I think it's going to be a sea change, really. And so for me on a personal level, not just on a professional level, I'm really excited about what these medicines have to offer people. That makes me think I was just watching... Uh 
Huberman, not on a podcast, but on stage, like, you know, 50 feet away from me. Mm-hmm. And um, he was saying this thing uh, as a neuroscientist. He says, well, this mind-body connection, it's extremely real because there's really no difference. The nerves run through your whole body. Yeah. And so the thing you're saying about the root cause, I think that's like also extremely interesting to me. You can, um, you know, treat symptoms, you can treat downstream biochemical issues, but if you can treat the root cause, that's always better. Yeah. So if this is a window to that, which I mean, there's so much compelling research happening. I'm interested in the eating disorders thing too. I'm, I'm going to catch a few talks about that mm. uh, at the conference as well. So, um, Okay, so the the next question I want to ask you, uh, Rebecca, is can you tell us about a barrier or a challenge that you've encountered during your work in psychedelics? And if these, you know, changes we've seen in the last several years, have they been a a positive or a negative? Have they made that barrier worse? Have they made it better? Can, Can you share about something you've encountered? Yeah, so this is an interesting one. I mean, something I think about a lot is, you know, I'd say I'm really cautiously optimistic about the direction that we're going. I I do think sometimes we get a little ahead of ourselves in the psychedelic industry, people who are in the know. And we think, oh, because Oregon's doing this thing, because Colorado's doing this thing, you know, we're set, we're on the right path. And I went to a really compelling talk earlier where Matt Zorn pointed out, in a lot of ways, the cannabis movement has been a bit of a failure in terms of what it set out to do, right, in terms of... uh, dealing with the inequalities of how we have enforced cannabis prohibitions on black and brown people, for example, and Mm. ensuring that black and brown people are included in the profits of these industries. Mm. Um, And similarly, like because it's legal in so many states now, the federal government doesn't have the same, you know, fire to actually do descheduling to change the law. And so that's a real problem. You know, it's real for a lot of these industries for, for my clients. The problem is, you if you have uh, an industry that's legal at the state level, but illegal on the federal level, well, that creates all these downstream difficulties, right? It's hard to bank. It's hard to get insurance. And so if we don't have meaningful reform on the federal level, all the state level stuff, to my mind, kind of doesn't matter. Mm. And so that's a really big barrier that I think people need to be more aware of. And though, again, I'm very excited about this movement, excited about where we're going. We really need to push for federal policy reform mm. um, and legal reform. And so that's what I want to see happen. Wow, like, I feel like we needed a whole hour episode just on, like, (laughs) breaking down those things you just said. I'll I'll give, like, a few quick thoughts. I think, like, I I think it's obvious what you're saying about when you think about the, you know, idyllic, you know, way the cannabis industry could have gone or what I think it could have been or what, you know, people who weren't selfish or greedy, maybe, like, the old guard would have done with it. Mm -hmm. And then how it's gone due to, you know, some bad policy, due to big business inevitably getting involved. So I definitely am on that train. I mean, it definitely is not what it could have been. And I fear that the movement to shift it back is going to be excruciatingly slow. Yeah. Um, but in psychedelics, you know, I mean, no doubt, federal federal, federal change is amazing. But I, I personally, like, think this thing, Oregon and Colorado is... I think it's so cool. Yeah. I think it's so, so... It's not perfect. And, and maybe it's like... You know, maybe we're repeating the path with cannabis, right? Maybe that's the point, part of the point you're making. But um, I don't know. It's it's uh, we're both doing what we can do. Yeah. Uh, but it's um, no, it's, it's super exciting. I don't mean to undermine no, the, no, no, no. You know, the, the actually, amazing things that people have done there, and the fact that this is really going to bring access. I think in some ways to folks, yeah. although I worry about the cost. Right? It's going to be yeah, still very no, expensive in these uh, states. 
Whew, it's a hard one. So um, uh, for the last question, it's, re it's really just kind of like an open thing about if there's anything else you want to share. But uh, I want to just uh, pose something that I think would be fun to talk about if you're, if you're interested to share for a minute or two on this topic. Um, you're involved with some different organizations, bar associations and, and groups that I think can have some impact um, at the federal level like you're talking about. So um, do you want to share about some of those orgs you're, you work with and, and the impact that, that you hope they might have? Sure, yeah. So one of the things I was really excited to do with my colleague Paul Slattery is we started the California Psychedelic Bar Association, which is designed really to uh, provide uh, education and support for California lawyers who are in this industry. Um, and I'm very excited about that and, and where we're going to go with that with that group. Uh, I'm also uh, one of the founding members of the National Psychedelic Bar Association, which is really um, an organization for lawyers across the United States dealing mm. with the psychedelics, um, serving mm. the psychedelics uh, sector. And I serve on both the litigation and advocacy committee of that group and also the corporate forums and business practices committee. So yeah, I think you should absolutely follow what we're doing, especially if any, you have any interest in the law in this area. They've put out a lot of really great CLEs and other um, educational materials, um, especially for companies. You know, it's not just for lawyers. We have the corporate forums and business practices committee, for example, put together um, a primer on corporate forms so yeah. that folks thinking about starting an entity can think through, like, if they want to do something socially responsible, what are the options? Mm. Different kinds of, you know, public benefit corps, et cetera. Um, so we hope that, you know, that'll be helpful to our clients. Definitely. And I will say, uh, having myself been working in cannabis, psychedelics, uh, drug development, kind of the areas between those uh, in the for the past six, seven years, I think the uh, people that you have working at some of these orgs are, are pretty stellar. I think they're pretty awesome group of attorneys and, and I'm following closely myself. So, well, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, we hope you have a great time at the conference and we'll see you back on the show soon. Thank you so much. Next, we have my interview with David Valancourt, CEO of the GMP Collective and a member of our cast right here at HLI. So, David, my first question for you is, on a professional level, what does this moment mean to you? So professionally, I've been involved in the cannabis industry since 2017, and I'm still, majority of my time is in the cannabis space. So, you know, psychedelics is a lot of parallels here. And to look at this professionally, I see an immense amount of opportunity, and I feel like we are at an incredible tipping point, just societally speaking, um, where we're getting recognition of wellness and therapeutic benefits uh, looking beyond the paradigm that we've lived in this box of you know, single molecule drugs and you know, food and dietary supplements for many years. And it's just really exciting to see the amount of momentum and amount of science and acumen here that we haven't been able to have historically. Uh, and I think that is critical to the advancement. Honestly, again, I, I mean this when I say of our society. I do identify with that. And I do feel a level of irritation with, I'll hear this thing sometimes where people say, well, there's nothing to learn from the cannabis industry for the psychedelics industry. It's totally different. I'm like, well, you should hear what Dave just had to say, right? So, well, uh, yeah, that's really insightful on a professional level, Dave. So let's talk about on a personal level. What does it mean to you personally? 
You know, for me personally, um, it's honestly a great question and a challenging one. Um, I look at just the wellness and, you know, we've talked about this on the episode before, uh, one of the episodes that I've been on with, you know, depression, like that's something that I have struggled with before. Mm -hmm. Um, and to see breakthrough therapy and benefits and to hear the anecdotal stories, it gives me a lot of personal hope for advancement and back to just that feeling of well-being um, to create a better life because we only get one life and to be able to maximize it through beneficial experiences that think outside the box is something that just energizes me and gets me up in the morning. Uh, I think a lot of our listeners are going to agree with you on that. And I really appreciate you uh, sharing some of those uh, personal facets. It's it's hard to share, but I think that's something else about psychedelics. It um, lets the walls down a little bit, you know? Indeed. So, um, yeah, really, really appreciate those replies. So the next thing we want to talk about is barriers. So can you tell us about a barrier that you encountered um, during your work uh, in psychedelics, or in your case, maybe it's in cannabis, just a barrier that you've encountered, you know, committing your career and your energy to working in, in psychoactives, right? Something that's been a little bit fringe. Um, what's a barrier that you've encountered? And has it become, you know, with the, with the industry becoming more open, we're seeing a lot of changes in the recent years, has that uh, issue you've dealt with become better or has it become worse? So, uh, and I'll kind of bring back to your point that you reiterated of, you know, folks that uh, might say, oh, we have nothing to learn from the cannabis industry. This is totally different. Like, just completely wrong. Of a, That's a closed-minded concept. And we have a lot to learn from everybody. And that's the beauty of the cannabis and the psychedelic industry where it comes from, you know, legendary underground operators, right? And it comes from historic folks that have seen this in traditional cultures uh, where there hasn't been science behind it, but it's been, you know, spiritual. Uh, there's been a long legacy of ritual uses. And so now we're coming in, we've got, you know, policymakers now, we've got legislators, we've got uh, you know, advanced scientists that are conducting foundational research, putting data behind what we know and believe to be true. Um, but that comes with a merging of cultures. We are having a clash of cultures where we have to learn how to speak each other's language. When you've got a PhD in organic chemistry, that's got to speak with an attorney. That's got to speak with somebody that has worked in this world for 30 years, um, but has never had any formal education in this place. It's all self-taught. So how do we speak the same language? Because we all care about the same cause, right? Wellness and unlocking the potential therapeutic benefits of this psychedelic revolution. Yeah. And that has caused a lot of landmines and divisiveness with folks developing factions. And that's what I've seen in the cannabis industry, especially with like cannabis, hemp, marijuana, you know, uh, intoxicating canna uh, hemp cannabinoids. And I am hopeful, cautiously optimistic that we'll be able to, again, learn from those mistakes and not reinvent the wheel and take advantage of being more unified. Um, but there's a lot of landmines that I've seen to prevent people that are you know, building these silos, which is not going to be helpful for us long term. Yeah, I hear that. Um, so what I'm, what I'm hearing from you is that overall it's getting better, but it's taking time, it's taking effort. That's what I'm hearing. It is, and, and we're still early. I mean, that's the beauty. We're very early. Yeah. Things are moving. Things are going to move incredibly fast, I would say. I mean, you've seen even Minnesota, right? The other day, the governor just announced a task force for psychedelic uh, research. They just legalized adult use cannabis like a few weeks ago. So things are moving fast. Yeah, I like to see that, though. I mean, it's never too early to... Because, you know, what I don't like to see 
is when we see a state that says, okay, we're going to change the regs, we're going to put together a board, we're going to slam together some regulations in a year, and then we're going to pump that out on the society, right or wrong. And then we're, you know, so it's uh, yep. it's never too early to, to put together these type of task force, especially with things that are so complex as people's health and as highly psychoactive substances and, and stuff like that. So um, anyways, uh, Dave, I'm going to take us to our last question. Um, I just wanted to open it up. Uh, is there anything else um, that you want to share with the HLI audience here from the floor at Psychedelic Science 2023? Yeah, um, great question. Uh, thank you for the opportunity as always, Nigam. I would leave with that state-by-state state task force as an opportunity to learn and recognize that science should not be limited by geographical boundaries. And so I'm hopeful that we can work together and Washington and Colorado can cross-pollinate because while each voter-led uh, voter initiative on the ballot was slightly different in the you know and the acts that were passed because through through those voter-led initiatives the science and how we develop a therapeutic framework to regulate these products should not be any different. So let's work together and leverage experts from all the states to create a harmonized framework so that we don't start working in silos and have a Minnesota program that looks nothing like Colorado because the science should tell us the same result. I totally agree with that. And uh, it's not a, a shameless self-plug because you're not saying it, but for folks who don't know about GMP Collective, uh, if you like what Dave just said, uh, definitely recommend checking out GMP Collective and the work they're doing in the cannabis space with working to do exactly what Dave just said in that area. And that's why we have Dave on the show. And that's why Dave's sitting here saying that because he has those expertise. He's on the ground. He's working with uh, state regulators that are shot callers um, across the nation to make these changes. Um, and, uh, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if... Uh, you know, Dave's getting calls about psychedelics soon enough, too. You know, maybe you already are. So we um, are. And if folks are interested in developing a voluntary consensus standards committee through ASTM International for cannabis uh, for psychedelics, uh, there's an opportunity there and there's interest. Yeah. I'd be happy to plug folks in. So reach yeah. out to us at GMPcollective.com. So let's do something fun, Dave. So we uh, we're, we got about one literal minute left of HLI time. Can you share with the listener in less than one minute? What is ASTM consensus standard and why would that matter? Okay, we even got 40 seconds. Can you tell us? Challenge accepted. So ASTM, 125 years old, developing consensus standards, meets the World Trade Organization's technical barriers to trade. Suffice it to say, and it's, this is codified in con through Congress, um, that it provides a balanced framework. ASTM provides the framework for all stakeholders with different biased interests to come together to remove the bias so that the end result is a true standard, minimum standard, that allows us to create a marketplace that regulators are bought into and at the table with so that we can have a, an, an operating ecosystem like one of your great episodes. That's what we do. That's the framework ASTM provides. Okay, so you had three seconds to spare, which I will use to sign off. So um, stay tuned, listener. Uh, we'll be back with many more interviews here from Psychedelic Science. All right, listener, 
We're going to take a short break for a message from the sponsor of this episode, and then we'll be right back with four more fascinating interviews from Psychedelic Science. Harmoniously.com is a modern psychedelic wellness company that bridges the realms of nutrition, medicine, and spirituality, forging a therapeutic connection that harmonizes the mind, body, and spirit. Our holistic approach utilizes evidence-based practices like ketamine-assisted therapy and personalized guidance to empower individuals on their wellness journey to inspire self-discovery, inner healing, and transformative growth. Visit us today at www.harmoniously.com to join us in a wellness revolution. Next up, we have my interview with Dr. Chris Witowski, the CEO of Silera. So Chris, I want to ask you, what does this moment mean to you on a professional level? I mean, I think number one, it's just amazing to see the collective of people that are so passionate about either healing themselves, healing other people, uh, people they know, family members. I mean, I think everybody at, at some level has a personal connection to mental health, whether it's themselves or other people. And, you know, I think 12,000 people under one roof is, you know, quite a, you know, a, a big thumbs up for the industry. And yeah. of course, MAPS is getting closer and closer to where they are and, and getting their drug approved by the FDA, which is yeah. e enormous. And, you know, professionally, I just want to congratulate MAPS for everything they've been able to accomplish over the last 35 plus years. Um, you know, the model they're doing it with is pretty impressive. It's uh, maybe not traditional, but I think just goes to show, you know, we are really at, not to use a, a you know, baseball pun, early innings of what is going to be, you know, uh, I think a change for humanity in general. And, you know, professionally, you know, I'm here under the guise of Solera and, you know, talking about our drug development program, but it, it's just interesting to hear what other people are talking about and whether it's retreats in South America, ketamine, MDMA, psilocybin. I mean, we're all, we all have the same goal, right? And, um, you know, I think it's just really enlightening to be here and just hearing all the stories, all the passion behind it. And um, yeah, that's what brings us here. My one return comment is, uh, I thought it was 10K. And then my buddy, um, when we were setting up the booth, was saying 11K. And um, and now you're telling me 12, so the numbers are going up. Rick um, uh, Rick said 12,000 this morning in his white suit, so I tend to believe that man. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna debate it. So um, okay, so the next thing we want to ask, you know, similar question. We framed the moment. We talked about the professional side. What about the personal side? What does it mean to you personally? I mean, I got into this industry because of the hardships that I've seen personally with some of my family members. Mm. Um, my brother has struggled with treatment resistant depression my entire life, um, you know, about 35 years for him. And, you know, it's, he's been on and off every antidepressant. Nothing's worked for him. Uh, he's a little hesitant, honestly, of undergoing a psychedelic experience. He's had his own experiences in the past. Not many of them have been positive for him. So I'm trying to outline his, you know, there, there are other ways to do it. There are better ways to do it. Uh, personally, my grandmother has stage four bladder cancer, mm. has, you know, experienced now psilocybin, which has helped her immensely in her kind of transitioning to, you know, her, her diagnosis. And she's now in a remission, I can say positively. She'll tell you firsthand that 
cannabis and psilocybin has saved her life. And, you know, those types of things have really put my own personal passions to it. Um, for me personally, I've, I've uh, partaken in a lot of psychedelic uh, myself. Dimethyltryptamine has been one of those things that have catalyzed really the formation of Solera. And um, yeah, I mean, we're here to make better, better drugs, better accessible therapies for more people. And, um, you know, personally, I'm putting everything behind that mission. Yeah, your passion is clear, and I've never felt anything different from you. <laughs> so, uh, you know, I hear actually, I'm not, uh, I'm not trying to say you're the new Rick Doblin. Oh God! But uh, <laughs> no, but I'll just say that's something I actually have never uh, met uh, Dr. Doblin. But that's something I've heard uh, from mutual uh, contacts that um, that's one of his qualities that he just has um, that passion that like ceaseless passion to drive it forward won't take no um so so uh, let me not you know do a comparison but i'll just say it's kind of reminiscent of what i've heard of what you were just saying and uh, and i think that's what it takes it's not easy you know and uh actually that blends immediately into our next question which is um can you share with us one barrier that you've encountered um in your work with psychedelics and um if the uh, recent changes in the industry, you know, this kind of moment we're framing now, that kind of stuff. Has that um, been a positive or a negative for that barrier that you've encountered? Yeah, I mean, I, I would say one of the biggest barriers, you know, we're an early stage biotech company, so we need a lot of capital in order to do clinical trials, to do the research. So, I mean, that I would say has been one of the bigger barriers that we've encountered, certainly yeah. within the last 18 months or so. You know, it's the global economy. It's not just psychedelics, it's not just biotech, it's not just cannabis. It's literally the entire economy is trying to re-regulate itself after COVID. I mean, you know, COVID I think was an eye-opening experience for mental health, for biotech and developing you no know, new vaccines in record time, mm. but also it created this enormous bubble for a lot of these companies. And, you know, certainly we're, we're a part of that bubble. Um, you know, we, we built this company to be a slow burn. You know, it takes mm. 10 years or more to bring a drug to market. So, you know, we, we came into it with uh, a long vision of, you know, it's going to take this to bring a drug to market. So we've been very, you know, efficient in the way that we've run our business and, you know, being very selective with the type of capital that we bring in so that people understand, you know, this isn't a, a two-year vision, go public, you know, make returns. It's, you know, it's going to take five to 10 years until you really see uh, you know, what the potential of what we're doing. Um, you know, I'm, I'm happy to say that we've kind of overcome some of those barriers and able to bring in capital and support the business. You know, ultimately, we need a lot more to do what we're doing. But um, yeah, we have a near term milestone. And uh, with one of our, our lead compounds, if I can plug that, uh, still 006, a non hallucinogenic form of psilocybin. It's a new chemical entity that I think is going to have enormous potential for take home dosing, allowing more patients to access the drug at home. Uh, you talk about barriers. I think, you know, ultimately, I want people to have as much access to MDMA and psilocybin and all these other FDA approved therapies. But you know, eight hours in a clinic, having the supervision, the talk therapy, it's, it really is a, a novel therapy in and of itself. And, um, you know, I don't think we've quite seen some of the, the speed bumps in, in commercializing a therapy like that. So, I mean, at the end of the day, it's access for patients. And, um, you know, whether that's with MDMA or psilocybin, which I'm fully supportive of, you know, I think take-home dosing is going to be one of those things that really remove a lot of those barriers for people. Yeah, you hit a few barriers there. The, uh, the funding thing, it's definitely interesting to see the dynamics in the landscape 
now after the surgeon funding before. And it's, it's one of those things um, where I don't know what descriptor I want to use here, whether it's a true intention, whether it's a um, actual understanding of the field and the approach to get into that field, whatever it is, there are certain qualities that allow companies to weather a storm, right? So I like how you described it as we built it as a slow burn, right? Uh, it, wasn't, it wasn't meant to be a flash in the pan, and, it, and it's not, right? So, yeah. um, well, uh, we've got time for one more uh, question. Um, I just want to open it up if there's anything else uh, you might want to share. We've got uh, about a minute left on the interview here. Um, anything else you might want to cap with? Uh, so we're sitting here in the convention center in the main exhibit hall, and I mean, I am just overwhelmed by the amount of cool stuff that I see. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me about it. Uh, this little pagoda over here with some comfy chairs and soft lighting. Uh, you know, we've got live artwork going on, you know, non-psychedelic kind of uh, trip forming music, light shows. Uh, I've only scratched the surface of what uh, I want to get into here, but it's it's really cool. I mean, I like what you've done with the booth here at HLI. Thank you. Uh, really cool artwork. Um, yeah, man, it's just it's a really interesting endeavor here that we're we're undertaking. Yeah, absolutely. And actually, um, we're in the same boat because um, I have just been sitting in this booth during interviews, and um, and I'm absolutely loving it. But I sincerely have not I've not walked around. Um, and I think that uh, I need to find some time to uh, experience it a little bit. You should. You yeah. should. Yeah. So, um, well, thanks again, uh, Chris, for joining us. We hope you enjoy the conference, and we look forward to having you back on HLI soon. Let's do it. Thanks. Next, we have Kimberly Chu, the co-lead of Psychedelics in Emerging Therapies Practice at Hush Blackwell. So my question for you, Kim, is professionally, what does this moment mean to you? Oh, professionally, it's so wonderful to see the growth of the industry to this level. Um, the, you see it in the news all the time, and it's palpable when you're here at the conference. There's so many attendees with so many different interests in how to develop this industry further. And it, I think it's just great news. And um, because these industries need uh, assistance with navigating the regulations, uh, for me professionally, it, it just sees... I, I just see this as a tremendous opportunity to assist the, the industry develop further and further everyone else's goals, whether it's business or science. Yeah, um, I totally agree. And we, we had a, a little debate earlier about uh, just how many attendees there are here. First, it was 10K, <laughs> then it was 12K, <laughs> and it's just up and up. But I agree. It's um, just uh, kind of a phenomenal blossoming, you know, and it's like the industry. It's also... COVID and it's, um, it's, it's really, um, I'm having trouble bringing words to describe like my feelings about it, but it's really phenomenal to be here and not just be here, but to be kind of documenting this moment with people like you. Oh, I appreciate that. Yeah. Yeah. It is, it is an incredible moment, uh, for me personally as well. I just, 
It, it's hard to describe to listeners what the energy is here is like. And uh, we started at our booth at 7.30, expecting no one to be here. And there we had <laughs> people coming off the bat asking, oh, you know, I need help. Or, or what is it you do? And what is it, what is it they do? And just learning everyone else's businesses has been so just invigorating. Yeah, I was here at, uh, well, I was here at 7. Uh, we saw each <laughs> other this morning. We've been seeing each other all week over here. But, um, uh, yeah, I was here at 7. And, I mean... There were attendees pouring in the yes. door. I mean, it was, I don't want to say crowded, but it was it was going on in here at 8.30 in the morning. Oh, definitely. So um, anyway, so to continue with our interview, so we talked about the professional side. What does it mean to you on a personal level? Well, on a personal level, I am so overwhelmed to see how far psychedelics has come. I mean, if it wasn't for the basic research that's occurred to this point, if it wasn't for the bravery of everyone else um, to push the industry to this point, kind of brings me to tears because I feel that this medicine has the potential to cure PTSD. Yeah. And I know that's a strong term, but I mean, the, the clinical trials are just amazing in terms of what we will see. Yeah. And on a personal level, if I could help my family members overcome their PTSD who, who suffered a great deal and then help other people with their PTSD and their families um, and to be able to in some small way contribute to that success, uh, I, I'm just overwhelmed in thinking that that's a possibility and you know to have significance in potentially helping along this industry. Absolutely. And that's, a, uh, that's another common thread we've seen. You know, the more of these interviews... I do. The more some of these common threads come out, and that's something we've been hearing, that it's uh, a lot of people that are here, it's because they have a personal passion relating to the healing capacities or some like major event that a family member has had, and it, so it sounds like you're in that group. Yes, yes. So, um, no, that's, that's, uh, that's great, and, and we're, all, uh, we're all hoping for, for the best outcomes and for, and for better therapies than we have now. You yes. know, there's clearly a need. So, um, yeah. So that brings me, speaking about clear needs, to our next question. So as great as things are going, there are certainly barriers in the space. So the question I want to ask you is, can you share a barrier that you've encountered working as an attorney in the psychedelic space? And if the um, kind of moment we're experiencing now, if the changes that are happening in the industry, are those... Uh, making that uh, issue you've dealt with easier to deal with, harder to deal with. Can you just share a little bit? Yes, as a sure thing. I mean, we see so much interest in um, people wanting to participate um, in things like develop, uh, opening up ketamine clinics. Yeah. And uh, I can tell you personally that we've dealt with clients who want to open up a ketamine clinic but are unable to. Um, mm. And so some of the gaps that I see in the industry are things like insurance. And in particular, in her case, she was hoping, um, you know, she worked with her medical medical malpractice insurance who told her, you need to take an FDA off-label ketamine class before mm. I insure you with, you know, for that kind of practice, to mm. expand your practice into ketamine. Yeah. And though that does not exist. Yeah. So it's impossible. And so I, I do see that as a barrier to furthering this uh, industry along and the lack of insurance. And hopefully that's coming soon. Yeah, it kind of reminds me of... Uh like with the cannabis industry before, you know, yeah. I feel like it's these uh, some of these rudiments to traditional business come last. Yeah. You know, uh, like insurance or like just basically uh, basic protections that make reputable folks feel safe getting in because it's like this is people's careers. It's their income. And I, I think we need to be encouraging 
reputable people into the industry uh, rather than keeping them scared or keeping them distanced, yes. you know? Yeah, so, no, I completely um, agree. So uh, that brings me to the last question. Uh, Kim, I just want to open the, open it up. Is there anything else you would like to share uh, with the HLI audience? Well, I mean, I, I kind of mentioned before that the energy here is palpable. And I, I also wanted to mention that the sense of community here. Yeah. And I feel very welcome in a... <laughs> And I don't, there's 11,000 people here at last, I can, might be 12,000, yeah. but I do feel uh, there's a lot of friendly faces, people who are all in the same boat, trying to row the boat in the same direction. Um, and I don't think that sense of community should be lost. Even, I know there's some divisions within the community, but um, overall, this is a very warm, welcoming, yeah. um, we're all working towards the same goal. And I, I want to keep that spirit alive uh, beyond the conference. It is. It's kind of interesting, like these moments in time, like the psychedelics industry still feels rather small. Right. And it seems like we have 11,000 people here. And you got to think, how many psychedelics professionals are there in the United States? Right. And how mm -hmm. what proportion of them are here? And then five years from now, 10 years from now at a MAPS conference, what will it be like? And and I right. think about cannabis. I think about cannabis from six, seven years ago and I uh, got into it and... And then I think about it now and it's just, it's exploded and it's changed. Um, so I, I just um, completely agree with you that I hope we can keep this and we'll see how it turns out. Yeah. Yeah. It's a de developing industry. So yeah, That's we right. shall see how it shakes out. How to launch it. Right. Yeah. So, <laughs> That's um, right. That's right. Well, thank you so much, Kim. Um, we really enjoy having you on the show. We hope you have a great rest of the conference. We'll see you soon. Thank you so much. I so appreciate this opportunity. Awesome. <laughs>
moving further into it. Absolutely. It's things so basic as insurance. So right. that's really um, excellent what you and your team are doing. And from what I understand, you're getting a lot of interest here at the conference. And I've seen so many people are here. I think the conference attracts a lot of practitioners who want to learn and want to find tools, right? So um, I want to ask you a little bit uh, similar thread, different uh, question. This thing that we're talking about, this, these, uh, this moment we're in, what does it mean to you on a personal level? Great question. So as we all know, the medical um, and mental crisis and the cost of society and, and the problems of all the mental issues that are impacting everyone, it touches everyone, whether, whether it's a family, a friend, a family member, a friend, a colleague. And it's not only a U.S. problem, it's a global problem. And I've watched the positive impact that these therapeutics have done to actually help and sometimes cure people. So personally, I want to give back and I want to help provide a solution that protects all the great professionals involved in psychedelic-assisted therapy so they can be confident that they're protected when they do this great work. Absolutely. Um, so we want to talk about barriers. So um, can you share with us a barrier that you've encountered since you've begun working in psychedelics? and? Share a little bit about if the uh, recent changes in the industry have made that barrier harder to deal with or maybe easier to deal with. Well, as we all know, it, it has been vilified and demonized psychedelics back to the 1970s. And I think MAPS has done a great job with a lot of great positive communication about really what's been going on with really decriminalization and, and changing people's mindsets about psychedelics. Psychedelics is not what it was once in the 70s. And the science has really come a long way and has made tremendous progress. So some of the barriers is just legacy hangover issues, mm. right? Just old stigmas that people think about, whether it be you know Woodstock or it's Burning Man and things like that. They don't realize that there's real science here that are helping people. And part of our job has been to get out into the insurance community and really start to educate people. And then the other challenge is, it's really a new emerging area. So anytime it's new, it's a first, it's, you have to put your big toe in the water and get people to really understand and take the leap of faith with us. Yeah, stigma is a huge barrier. Huge. It's a huge barrier. And um, I think that on this show, we talk about both cannabis and psychedelics. And it's something that, you know, I think a lot of people in the cannabis space are a little bit jealous of that the rate at which um, the public has adapted to the medical benefit of psychedelics. Um, and, and me personally, I think it's all a win across the board when we can have the public become more aware of the benefit, the therapeutic benefit and uh, of some of these substances and the fact that there are um, reputable medical institutions doing work here and that there are reputable uh, services, attorneys, insurance providers that are working in this space day and day, such as yourself. Right. So um, that brings us to our uh, final question. I just want to open it up a little bit to you. Is there anything else that you want to share with our audience here at How to Launch an Industry about the work you've been doing or about uh, your experience here at the conference? Sure. Well, um, TheraCover, which is the name of our insurance product, is really about providing the foundation for access. This is about access for people. So they can do their jobs with the comfort of knowing that their policy will respond. And um, it's just the amount of support that we've gotten from the psychedelic community. And let's remember, these therapeutics have been around for thousands of years. Right. And they're really helping people. So 
we're starting to get some really good positive support from the business community now. There's a lot of money flowing into this space. And we're really, really thrilled that we're going to be able to have the support of not only the insurance community, but the reinsurance community to support us on this. We have a great team. And um, we'll be able to just let people do their jobs, like I said, with the comfort of knowing they'll be covered. Definitely. And I think uh, I actually like how you framed it, access, because that's something that we talk about, uh, access of the medicines themselves, access of the treatments themselves. But there's so many layers, right? So now we're talking about access of a reputable medical professional to feel safe operating in the space. Absolutely. And these are the kind of things I, so for me, uh, being a, an organic chemist by training, being, you know, fundamental scientist, uh, I'm very, I have this thing ingrained in me of building blocks, you know, you got to put one Lego on top of the other to build something great. So, and, and that's a big part of the reason um, that I wanted to um, have you on the show, because I really think what you're doing with the insurance is uh, helpful. And I think it also, um, takes leadership somewhere, right? So um, it seems to me your company's providing leadership in this space, right? They've been tremendous. They've supported us with everything from branding to marketing to websites. Um, I have a team that has worked really hard on some of the legal issues. We've been able to engage a top law firm to help us with the legal and regulatory kind of frontier and where that's going, state versus federal. So we've just got a, a wonderful group of professionals. It's been a dream and it is a first mover opportunity and I I'm so thankful that my firm has been able to support me on that first mover opportunity. Yeah, I, I uh, think that's so awesome. And uh, I don't usually do that, uh, do this on the show, but um, I think this is really valuable. Can you just uh, share again right here at the end, uh, if people um, need insurance uh, for their uh, psychedelics uh, medical practice, can you share what is the name of your product again and where can people go to uh, learn about it? It's called TheraCover. And you can just Google TheraCover, and basically it is modern insurance for modern medicine. Okay, excellent. Well, uh, Leslie, thanks so much for joining us, and uh, we will be enjoying the rest of the conference and hope you do too. Thank you so much. close out the episode, we'll have Dr. Neil Ritter interviewing Mark Ross, who is an attorney, ESG consultant, and chief instigator at Needle Consultants. I want to ask, what does this moment mean for you on a professional level? You know, on a professional level, it, it certainly presents opportunity. Uh, what I do is I help build more ethical, more diverse, more impactful businesses, and it is clear clear from the 13,000 people here or the 12,000 registrants that there is a strong desire to build an industry around psychedelics in some way, shape, or form. And for me, that's a lot of blue sky or white space for me to have an impact um, leaning into the things that I do well and the things that I'm passionate about. Is, um, is this conference what you expected it to be? Not at all. Um, I've gone to so many cannabis conferences that uh, I sort of expected something maybe a little different. Uh, it's it's kind of like a business conference meets Burning Man huh. meets 
uh, an EDM show uh, meets uh, a psychology convention. It's um, it's kind of mind blowing how many bases this conference touches. Yeah, I, I feel the same way. This is a, a different conference than any any I've ever been to in the past. Um, yeah. So, what what about on a personal level? How does uh, how does being here um, uh, impact you as as you? You know, I think most of us that are passionate about psychedelics have tried psychedelics and, and they've had a profound impact on their life. And so looking at around the room here on the trade show floor or going to any of the sessions, uh, whether they be clinical or uh, indigenous or um, artistic, uh, it's just a, an amazing what a large tribe of psychonauts there, there really is in the world. Uh, and so it's kind of reaffirming uh, even though you know that there are a lot of people, millions of people in the world for thousands of years have, have tried psychedelics that have impacted them profoundly, uh, it's different when you're in a convention center at the largest gathering of psychedelic professionals in history. Uh, it, it's really kind of mind-blowing from a personal level. Yeah, absolutely. And it's, it feels like it's being absorbed into... Uh the, the culture of, of our country right now. It's um, the, the names that we see here, the number of businesses that are here, the number of people that are that are trying so hard to to bring these uh, these molecules uh, into into light is is absolutely amazing. Um, I, I do think, though, um, just based on the Michael Pollan discussion just now, we do need to temper some of uh, of that enthusiasm because. Uh, I think it's going to be messy along the way. Um, and I think it's going to be, uh, while I'm very excited about the future and what's coming, uh, I think it's going to be uh, challenging on a lot of fronts. Yeah, I mean, this this whole space has seen some setbacks in the, in the past. Uh, so, I mean, that leads into the next question really well. What's, uh, what barriers have you have you seen while trying to work professionally in this, uh, in this space? Well, I mean, the space is so new. The companies are really just getting started. And what I do is foundational work in theory about building companies that are true to their identity and represent something more than just, in this case, a medicine or an opportunity for business. Uh, and so getting funding to build that into the DNA of a company in an early stage is challenging. Yeah. You really need to have thoughtful leadership. You know, and I'll cite David Bronner and, you know, and Dr. Bronner's. They've built that kind of ethos into their DNA from the very beginning. Three generations, 100 years uh, of being an ethical, conscious, sustainable company. Um, so the challenge is really finding these companies that are also struggling for cash to pay for my services to help them. Yeah, I can, I can see that. Uh, yeah, and Doctors Runners is a, is a great example of a company that has has been doing this well for for a very long time. So, is there is there anything else you would like to share about uh, your impressions, uh, your vibe, uh, uh, just uh, this conference in general? Yeah, I hope they keep doing it. Uh, <laughs> I mean, yeah, me I hope they, I, somebody just told me they think it's going to be an every five years thing. Although I did not hear that from anyone at Maps. Uh, I would hope that it's more frequent than every five years, but I'm sure putting this on is a tremendous undertaking, especially just given the depth and breadth of it, uh, more so than any other conference I've ever been at. Uh, and now I haven't been to the Consumer Electronics Show in Vegas, so I'm sure that that's pretty uh, huge, huge. I think it's one of the biggest conferences in the world, but um, I hope they keep doing it. And uh, I hope the next time they do it that we can talk more about 
sustainability, which I don't think they're talking about at all. We can talk about diversity and inclusion, which they are talking about yeah. somewhat, um, and remediation of the war on drugs, which is, is essential to this industry, uh, and good governance practices, which we are not really talking about at this point, uh, ensuring that our companies are, um, are, are solid in terms of their governance practices, how they invest their money, um, how they lobby, um, what their supply chains look like, making sure that they're clear, uh, how they engage communities in a thoughtful way and not just steamroll them in the name of the almighty dollar. So I'm optimistic and I, and I look for where changes as this space continues to evolve uh, and I hope to have an impact on it. Yeah, absolutely. And I think one of the, the questions I hear most is just how? How do we do research? How do we start a company? And uh, I think... Uh, I have to imagine that you're going to find find your place in that. Um, so thank you so much for uh, for joining us at How to Launch an Industry. Thanks so much for having me, Neil. Appreciate it. Yeah, thanks, Mark. All right, listener. Thanks for tuning into the business episode, the second of our three part series, live from Psychedelic Science. Thank you to our trusty audio engineer Joe Leonardo, to our amazing cover artists and to everyone who supported the booth and who dropped by for an interview at the conference. Stay tuned for the culture episode dropping next week.